0: Hello, everybody. This is Greg Wareham with Your Mortgage Process. Listen, I want to take a little bit of time to thank everyone that came to our event. It was a sold-out event. We had several hundred people there. We're streaming it out to many, many other people, and it was a huge success. The feedback that you gave me was tremendous, and I'm glad that everyone was able to capitalize on the information and take at least one piece of information that you could use moving forward for your real estate Ventures in the future, or even something you give to a friend or a family member. Uh, as we kind of roll through everything, I want I'm gonna highlight a couple of different things and a couple of different things that we talked about in the in the event. So the first thing that I would say is we had started with talking about historical home value trends. And when you look at historical home value trends over the course of time, the value of real estate has increased at about 4.7% per year since 1991, 4.5% per year since 2000. So it's certainly been moving in that upward trajectory. Uh, The second thing that we had leaned into is historical interest rate trends, right? And historical interest rate trends show since 1971 that the average interest rate has been 7.75%. And when you start to break that up into 10-year increments, we all have heard that in the 80s, interest rates were double digits. When you get into the 90s, interest rates are eight, 9% consistently. And even into the 2000s, where we started to see things change was during the first recession, that great recession that we saw in 2008. And that's really when there was a realignment as to what interest rates were doing. And we saw those extremely low interest rates into the threes during that time frame. As the market or the economy started to recover from that, what happened? COVID hit. And when COVID hit, that's when we really saw interest rates tank to historic low levels. Now, since that time, we've seen interest rates starting to rebound. And we're starting to get more to the average of what you would expect over a long period of time. Hey, listen, I really, I really appreciate everybody uh, coming tonight, taking time out of your evening, waiting for your families. We're really going to talk about a lot of different things today uh, It's wealth-oriented toward owning real estate. So we're going to take a look at historical market value trends. We're going to take a look at historical interest rates. We're going to look at rent statistics. And then we're going kind to of tie that all together with some different wealth building. And What does it really look like to own real estate? And how do you accumulate wealth over the course of time? I think as all of us know, if you ask any wealthy person,
1: if they own real estate, what's the answer?
0: Of course they do. The next component that we had moved on to were really calculating payments uh, relative to the value, average value of properties over the course of time. And what you want to check out in the video is what did mortgage payments look like in 2000? What did they look in 2000, like in 2006, 2012, and then what do they look like currently? Because it really speaks to how payments and values have changed over the course of time. One thing I can tell you concretely is over the time between 2000 and 2023, we saw an average increase to overall mortgage payments of 4.1%. And you can really dive deeper into that when you watch the video about the presentation.
2: What I see buyers and sellers do is they take the information and they try to convince themselves it's in their best interest. Yeah. And so we'll go through a couple of uh, something. Yeah, so a couple of things that we yeah. have
0: brought up on the screen here. This is Monmouth County, and this is a year-over-year analysis of different things going on in the marketplace. Can you see that? Did you need glasses?
1: Yeah.
0: All right. yeah. Well, <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <laughs>
2: One of the things we're going to do, real like quick, I have a cheat sheet because I can't see that one anymore. <laughs> uh, we're looking through, so we're starting with Monmouth County, we're going to focus on, as you see the numbers year over year. So you see, in, just in February of 2022 versus February of 2023, we saw 8% decrease in new inventory. So how do we interpret that data? And the uh, same goes for closed sales. We have 367 closed sales in Monmouth County, in February of 22 versus February of 23, only 260. A decline of 30%, wow. uh, close to 29, 29.2%. So I look through this, and we can interpret it a couple of different ways. The market is starting to slow down, which now if you're here as a buyer, you need to discuss with your realtor how this may benefit you. Um, it may be time for you to really start thinking about getting into the market now. If you're a buyer and you need to move, you have, you have you have a growing family. You need to buy, regardless of whether you want to or not. That's the current market. Right now. That's right. You know to, to Dino's point about people
0: that they're not being a lot of inventory. It, at the end of the day, if you're at a three percent interest rate on a six hundred thousand dollar mortgage, are you really going to give that up to go into another to go into an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage at a six and a half percent interest? And that's a real concern in the marketplace. And to Dino's point, it's become much more need-based in the marketplace, at least for people that are looking to occupy something as primary residence. Right.
3: And as a first-time buyer, right, you want to get into the game when the, there's not a lot of
0: sharks in the pond. When you look at the last two years, we've averaged 15, almost 16% year-over-year over, year over the past two years. Look at the, look at the past five years, right in your book. Oh, 8.21%. Last 10 years, 5.14, look at that, it's a three. It grew at a lower percentage than the rest of the country then, in New Jersey. And then what is it, if you go since 2000, you're gonna see a gross, gross rate at 4.47% in New Jersey, year over year, for the past going on 23 years. There was a president in office that said I want everyone in the United States to own a home. That was a hallmark of his presidency. So how do you do that? How do you get everyone into a a house? You lower interest rates a little bit, and you have to increase inventory. So I don't know if everyone remembers about the whole boom that was going on in the 2000s. From 2000, really from like 1998 to about 2007, that was the most robust building that we had ever seen in the United States. We were building houses, and they were going up in value. And we were keeping interest rates low to afford people the opportunity to own homes. Now, I, I'm not a political person at all. It was a great plan at the time. It was a great market. You know, It was the best long-term plan. I'm not going to comment on that. But that's, what, that's when you see interest rates starting to trend down and they never came back up again, right? Well, let's talk about it. So, if we look at this column right here, give me an average. What's the average interest rates in that column? 11? 12? Well, <laughs> well, a 16 year time right here. If we get over into the 1990s, does anyone see a forehand? Where's the forehandle? What do you mean there's no forehandle? Interest rates are supposed to be 4%. There's no forehandle. Because interest rates are typically in that 7 to 8% range. All right, now what happens? We're in like 2008, interest rates are 6%. 2009, they started to come down. Why?
2: What? The market
0: crashed. Quantitative It's Well, that's, that's a great point, Dan. Yeah? So, yes, the market crashed. Everything crashed. Your foreclosure skyrocketed. The uh, next phase that we had moved on to is we had a great speaker talking about credit, certainly something that you can check out. We can't tro- control what goes on in the interest rate environment, but what you can do is you can control what your credit grade looks like to make sure you can maximize the best interest rate that's available in the market. We spoke briefly about points and closing costs.
1: Good evening. Yeah. 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 Thanks Good Really start with credit? Is credit credit important? Credit's important. I don't think, was credit important in 1985? No. Want to know why? Credit scoring system didn't start in 56 by Isaac and Flacco. But the first generated credit score started in 1989. So 33, 34 years later, we're still kind of in its infancy of credit.
0: You know, if someone's interested in purchasing a home, investment primary residence, it's it's absolutely critical right out of the gate that you understand from a financial institution what your credit score is. And here's why. Once we pull the credit, it's good for 120 days. That means from the time we pull it, issue a pre-approval, you have to close in 120 days. If you get outside that time frame, we've got to pull your credit again. But what you can what you find out early on in the process is you can fix. If you find out late in the process and now you're under a contract to purchase a home, you don't necessarily have time to fix it. Yeah. You know, a lot of things that you see, Dan, is, all right, well, someone wasn't expecting that this medical bill was on their credit report that dropped their credit score 80 points.
1: Yeah.
0: Now, they may still qualify for the mortgage, but they're going to pay a higher rate. But if you know that early in the process, we can work through a process, of oh, I used process twice and show up every time, right. that you have the ability to try to fix that before you find a house and
1: before you close on the house. Right.
0: So the way that things work from an interest rate standpoint is credit scoring is in different tiers. So if you have a 740 or higher credit score, you're going to get the best possible interest rate for your situation. If you're between 721 or 720 and 739, different rate. If you're between if you go down in increments of, of 20. So if you're 700 to 719, different rate. 680 to 699, different rate. So these things are very important when you're trying to optimize the best interest rate, especially in a volatile market from an interest rate standpoint. The next part is we went into historical rents. Now, this is a great component of the whole thing that you really need to pay attention to. And we did a deep dive as to what the historical increase is in rents year over year. And not to spoil it for you when you watch the video, but in 2000, the median rent in the state of New Jersey was $751 a month. Now I'm going to make you go to the video to see what it is today and then extrapolate on that as to what it looks like in 10 years. The state of New Jersey has no rent control laws. You can increase that rent as much as you want. Now there are some local municipalities that do capital, or maybe you can't increase it more than 7 9%. But the state has no rules So I'm bad for a landlord. So no. All right, I got a question for you. Now, I showed you an earlier slide over two years that property values increased at 15.5% per year, about 32, percent 33% over the past two. years. Now, I want you to look at your book, and I want you to ask, I want you to, someone tell me, what was the median rent in 2000? How much? $751 $751 a month in 2000. So we're all hanging out in my apartment, we're doing to kill the shots. No.
2: So we're all hanging
0: out in my apartment back in 2000 and we're drinking hot cocoa and playing board games. It was, we would sit around and I say, I oh, was oh, paying for rent, i on, pay $751 a month. Right, that sounds reasonable. If someone there was to the say, by 2023, You're going to be paying $2,833 a month. What would you say? You're out of your mind. It's never going to happen
2: ever, ever, ever.
0: How much of mortgage payments went up by? How much is rent went up by? How much is the median rent in 2000? How much is it now? That's a lot of money, right? I mean, that's a lot of money. Uh, We reviewed some basic amateurization so people can understand the time value of money with a specific scenario in there. And then we started getting into different wealth building scenarios. Uh, As an example, one of the scenarios we looked at is if you're purchasing a $500,000 home, putting down 20% at an interest rate of 6.75, you're going to have your monthly payment, right? And then in addition to that, you're going to add your property taxes, your homeowner's insurance. And we're going to compare that against what rents look like. We're also going to talk a little bit about what the tax advantages are when you purchase a home. I mean, I will say this, if you have a couple making $150,000 a year, a couple, or even an individual person. And if you have no children, then you really don't have a ton of different tax deductions if you're a W-2 employee. This presentation is really going to go through the impact of what it means to have a mortgage when you look at your overall tax liability, or more importantly, your tax benefit, We also talked a little bit about the time value of money. You know, how do you become a millionaire over the course of 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and so forth? The meat and potatoes of it is time is your biggest friend. So the sooner you start to save for your retirement, the more time that you have is going to give you a greater compounding effect over the course of time. And it's really cool stuff. So if you vision yourself as a millionaire through investing, that's a page that, or that's a piece that you're going to want to check out as well. And again, not to be repetitive, but you're going to want to also take a look at our accounting piece, because whether or not you own a rental property or you own a primary residence, you really need to understand what your tax benefit is associated with having those properties. Like I said in the event, rich people make the tax codes, right? And we all kind of inherently know that. Well, rich people also own real estate, so when you look at real estate tax breaks that you get, it's not ironic that there's a lot of benefit that you can have if you own a property from a tax standpoint. So tax bracket, on average, you get about 29%, 22% federal, 7% state. This is
1: on 150000 joint income. So everyone knows how this works. I made $150,000
0: this year. They took out their taxes. And that means the net income was 106. Right, I paid forty-three thousand dollars plus forty-three five hundred in taxes. Well, how do I get that number now? What do I do? I don't have any kids. I can't write them off. Or I got five kids and they're still not giving me all they (laughs) can. I don't know. Well, you could own real estate, and let's show you how this works. So, in our same scenario six and a quarter percent, total interest you pay in year York 26870 dollars Your property taxes, that you can deduct, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong, up to $10,000 in property taxes per year. $10,000 is the most,
1: yes. We in New Jersey and on the coast get the shaft.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, $9,000 example, that was a $750 a month, that gives you an adjusted gross income of $114,000. I was able to, deduct what does it really mean, right? Your tax deduction. Like, quantify that for me. Give me the dollars. What do the shekels look like on it? Right? Well, let's go through it. So, this is assuming no other deductions, right? Which you can have in mind. So, what was your tax benefit by earning a lot? Well, if your adjusted gross income was 114, 130, you take 22%. Against that number, it's 25108 The 7% is 7989 Right? You pay, the total here is 33097 You paid 43500 You really only owed 33000 You overpaid. The difference is $10,000. Again,
1: yeah,
0: is that a refund? Yeah,
1: well, Rob sure. so explain it to everybody. So one of the things I want to highlight here, though, the the qualified retirement program and the. How many folks here are ten ninety nine? Wow, that's because I'm going to move right into this. Um, there's a lot of deductions. I hope your accountant is getting you uh, with that ten ninety nine. Um, w two employees not as much, but. When we talk about qualified retirement programs, is anybody in here, how many people have a SEP set up for themselves? Not as many as that, just raise your hands with the 1099s. I get questions all the time from clients, how can I put more money, away? Like how can I protect more money? Opening up SEP plan is huge. It's one of the things you need to do, to put away up to 25% of your net earnings um, and bury that for your future. Um, other things you can do as well with regards to real estate, uh, make sure your depreciation if you invest in rental properties is calculated properly. I have so many clients with not getting as much depreciation as they should be getting. 27 and a half years um, residential, 39 on commercial. Uh, those calculations need to be tight because you need to use the benefit of that depreciation as a deduction. Um, as real estate professionals, the other thing that you guys can do is take losses against ordinary income that most people can't. Most people, the average person like myself, who is not a real estate professional, make once they go over one hundred fifty thousand dollars, once they have a loss, I have to table that loss and kick the hand down the road. You guys, real estate professionals, to the folks that are real estate professionals here, can take that loss against ordinary income. And there's a lot of clients that I get that are not doing that. It's incredible. The, the amount of money you can save by doing that. As a 1099 person, you can write off your cars, you can write off parts of your home, you know, offices, things like that. People tend to stare away from that sometimes, they think it's a big wet area. I say no, if you're using a room in your house as an office, you could write off that proportion of the expense versus all the house. Cleaning, gardening, the mortgage and interest if you're not deducting it you on know, your schedule A. Um, Repairs, maintenance, all that kind of thing. So, I kind of maybe steered like, away from people when you initially were asking, but I wanted to jump right into that before perhaps we ran out of time.
0: Do me a favor, explain to us. So, if I've got this deduction of about $35,000, 36000 like, what, how does it quantify into dollars
1: for that? So, again, like I said, so if you're a, if a deduction or a write off, that deduction, depending on your tax rate, you're gonna multiply your tax rate times the deduction, that's the real dollar. Got it so so if it's we're in a twenty percent tax bracket, you know, thirty thousand three times business So that's how it points the dollars. It's not like a tax credit, a yeah. credit is a dollar for dollar.
0: So then when we when we kind of extrapolate that out, and we look at mortgage interest, property taxes, in our okay. example it's thirty-five thousand. Well that's approximately six, seven thousand dollars back in your pocket. But six thousand is another five hundred dollars a month back in your pocket. Or no. Yeah, and the final scenario that we looked at was a wealth building scenario that really geared more towards buying investment properties. In looking at what your cost basis is relative to the future accumulation of value, relative to your tax benefits associating it, and really in landing the plane on both of those scenarios that I talked about, understanding that in a 10-year timeframe, statistically, buying real estate, owning real estate is gonna give you a huge bang for your buck. So it's something that you certainly need to check out.
1: Danny taught
0: me something really great, and you just alluded to this. As a real, and I never heard this before, as a real estate agent, 50% of your time is you spend as a real estate agent. If you own investment properties, you can take the full tax deduction on any loss that you have, versus the rest of us, it's something called a passive loss, right? You can't take it. It can't go directly against my gross
1: income. That's right, income. your loss is limited. If you have a loss, and you're not a real estate professional, you gotta kick the can down the road and it's gonna have a gain to offset it. It's, it's a suspended loss. As real estate professionals, if you have a ten or $20,000 loss, which isn't uncommon because of depreciation, you can take that against other income to reduce your other income.
3: I'm here to talk a little bit about movement, right? Our bank and who we work for. So when we made the switch over to movement mortgage, we really thought long and hard about why and who we wanted to be a business with, right? And movement mortgage seemed to be in the same lines as Keller Williams, right, when it came to culture. So if we found it really important to make sure we aligned ourselves with the right people, especially going into harder times that the market starts to compress. Our profits aren't going into lining the the pockets of the CEO and shareholders, right? They're taking 10% of that profit and they're donating it back to the community. Why is that important? It's for inner city children. It's they're building schools. Movement mortgages building schools. Currently, they have three. By the end of this year, they want to build 100. So what does it take when you build a school, right? What do you need? You need uniforms. You need food. You need to be able to pay for education. The teachers, backpacks, clothes, all of that movement is looking to take the profits that we're making by the business that we're able to drive in together and giving that back. Wouldn't that be great if we can do that here as well?
0: So it's up to 50% of the profit that the bank makes that they're giving back
1: to build these schools.
0: Inner city, these are poor kids, and we all know what goes on in poor poor schools. They're underfunded, there's not enough books, there's violence, there's all of that. So we're trying to put these kids through better education. Now, what does that really quantify into? And what's your value in that, right? For every mortgage payment that somebody makes... That equates to a profitability that goes back to the school. 23 meals for these kids and two uniforms. When a family makes a mortgage payment, that we've done the transaction. So again, I wanted to thank the several hundred people that attended and everyone that watched live. I'd also like to mention to everybody, this is what I do and I love doing it and I love being out there. So if there's value for you as a broker of a real estate company who'd like to train and educate your agents as to real estate short-term, long-term benefits from a data standpoint, please reach out to me. If you're a team or an individual agent that's looking to put together a seminar, that's something I could certainly help you with as well. You can reach out to me by going to Greg or sending me an email at greg at your And if there's anything I can do to be of any assistance, please let me know. I appreciate everyone listening and I look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.